I'd like you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Second uh, Thessalonians, please, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to give you a, a little bit of more detail on my son James. He, he's 25, and uh, right now he's at, at New Tribes Mission, and he's doing there what they call, used to call it boot camp. I think they have a more dignified title for it these days. They call it uh, cross-cultural communications course, and that's what he is doing, uh, but he's got mono, um, so that's really affecting him, and uh, I think he's been overdoing it a little bit, um, and so he's uh, just flat out right now, and it's very hard for him because he's an action man, he's always on the move, and for him to, to rest is very difficult, so, and he's getting married to uh, Greta uh, from Norway um, on the 30th of July, so he's got a course to finish before then, and a wedding to plan, and all the rest of it, so he needs his energy, and so again, he would appreciate your prayers. Second um, Thessalonians 3, and I want to read uh, from verse 6 to verse 16. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 to 16. And we want to continue to think about this subject of church discipline. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if anyone would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means, the Lord be with you all. And again, we believe God will bless the public reading of his precious word to us this evening. Usually when we think of the subject of church discipline, we think of putting somebody out of fellowship. And that's wrong thinking. That's the last resort. That's, that's when every other attempt to get the brother or sister concerned to repentance has failed. And we've nothing, no other option. We're just kind of backed in a corner. We've tried everything. This is last resort. So when you think church discipline, please don't think the end of the process. Let's back up in our minds and start at the beginning of the process. Now, what are some of the issues that require intervention? In other words, what kind of things should we be concerned about in the assembly that we should begin the process, i.e. By, by admonishing, by exhortation, because that's where it starts. It starts with admonition. 
It starts when you and I see a brother or a sister going in a direction that we see is very dangerous to their spiritual life, and out of love for them, we lovingly confront them with the truth. That's what admonition means. Okay, it, it's a lovingly confront somebody with the truth. And, and so, so what, what kind of things are we thinking of? Well, let's look at some of them for a moment, please. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verses uh, 2 and 3. Uh, well, let me just read from verse 1. Then for my uh, brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. So here in the assembly in Philippi, we've got two sisters, Euodia and Syntyche, and they're, they're obviously godly sisters who have been very much involved in the work of the Lord, in fact, even involved in gospel labors with the apostle, and, and really have been a tremendous help to the work of God, but they can't get on. And the problem with these two sisters that can't get on is it never stays with two sisters that can't get on. Because what happens is, Euodia has her sympathizers, and Syntyche has her sympathizers. And unless we can get these two sisters to be reconciled, pretty soon the assembly will be divided along the lines of the Euodia party and the Syntyche party. And we have a division. We can't afford a division, right? We don't want that. The only person that gets the, the glory in that is the enemy who loves to divide and conquer. And so here's a, a, a message. Look, help those women. The idea is get them eyeball to eyeball to sort out their problems before we have a catastrophe in the assembly. And so that would be an issue that we should concern us. Uh, relationships in the assembly, they're very important, aren't they? Uh, Which as much as lie, lieth within you, Scripture says, be at peace with all men. In other words, make every effort. Don't avoid them. Don't run away from them. Get it sorted. It's not easy, but it's essential. I remember there was a brother that I had a real problem with. And um, I remember seeing him one day walking down the high street where I was living. And I hid in a shop window. I mean, I just kind of went into the... Sh I didn't want to see this guy. And I thought to myself, well, it was the Spirit of God convicting me. And he said, Mike, is this a way to live? So that every time you see this guy, you have to hide. Is that the way you want to live your life? And I don't want to live my life that way. So I called this guy up and I said, uh, I didn't do it that day, but after the Spirit of God, it takes him a, a while to get me to cooperate. You know how it is. But, but eventually I got to the point where I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And so I called this guy and said, let's go out for a meal together. Took him for a meal and I said, brother, we've had problems in the past. Let's, let's not leave this restaurant until you and I can see each other anytime and not have any problems between us. And we did. And I'm thankful because shortly after that, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And I am so grateful that we parted as friends and brothers. Can you imagine if that... See, this, this is, these are so important. You see, you might be uh, out of sorts with somebody and uh, you, you're just kind of putting it on the long finger and you don't want to deal with it. And the rapture could occur. And it'll be too late then. It'll have to be settled at the judgment seat. Let's settle it now. 
That's really important, isn't it? These are really important things. And we don't want the work to suffer. And so there's an area where if there's not a willingness to reconcile, and, and brethren, we're about reconciliation. Now, isn't that what our ministry is all about? Reconciling men to God, right? That's the ministry we're in. And so it doesn't look good if we can't be reconciled with each other. We're kind of giving a mixed message here, right? We're telling men to be reconciled to God, and here we are, the people of God, and we won't be reconciled to each other. Somehow, that's just kind of a quirky message, isn't it? And so, in the light of that, we need to be serious about that, and that's an issue that needs intervention. If there's an unwillingness, then the church has to get involved. Saints have to get involved and say, look, deal with this. This, You can't put this off. Uh, It's just not acceptable. And then that passage we looked at in Second Thessalonians, we, we called it uh, that those that, or we called it, Paul called it, those that walk disorderly. And uh, the idea of walking disorderly, it's kind of a military terminology, and, and it's the idea of somebody who's just out of step. They're, they're not walking in rank. You know, if you see, saw a military march past, and everybody's marching, you know, kind of in sync, and there's one guy, and he's got two left feet. Right? He just, he's just walking his own different... Well, he's, he's walking disorderly. He's not following the teachings that have been given. And in this case, it's, it's teaching that was given about working. And here's a guy, uh, or several guys in this assembly, <clears throat> and they won't work. And, and he's already said, when I was with you, I taught you this. If a person won't work, neither should he eat. Now, it's not saying a person that wants to work and can't get a job. That's a different story. Here's somebody who won't work, not because he can't get a job. He don't want a job. He is idle and he's a busybody. That's the irony of Paul's writing here because he says uh, he doesn't work, but he actually is very busy (laughs) about other people's business rather than his own business. And that's the problem, isn't it? To, if you've got too much time on your hands, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. And God wants us to work. Work's dignified. Work's not a curse. Uh, some of you, sometimes you have to get to work, you feel, oh, what? You know, it feels like a bit of a curse. It's not a curse. Work was before the fall. Work, there's dignity in work. There's self-respect in work. There's a sense of a job well done in work. Work is good. Work, work is spiritual. Uh, it's a spiritual thing. You can turn your workbench into an altar of worship to God. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. And if a man won't work, not he can't get it, he just won't, then that's an issue. He's disorderly. He's a poor testimony to the gospel of Christ. And he needs to be dealt with. And, and the, the dealing with him is, is, is pretty serious. And we're going to look at how we deal with different things in, in a while. But I want you just to see that. Um, even the, the, the younger widows in 1 Timothy 5.8, they're told, get a job. Right? It, rather than just be idle and getting involved in everybody else's business. And, and that's the danger, you see. We, we've, got to be, we, we've got to be busy. You know, when, when, when David should have been out in the battlefield... He was getting a suntan on the top of his roof, and he got into a lot of trouble, didn't he? What idleness? That's what it was. Should have been out fighting the battle. And and you know, I I'm a funny kind of a guy, but I don't like vacations because I I recognize vacations are the most dangerous time for me spiritually. When I'm not busy. I'm target. You know, I'm just kind of fair game, right? Because your mind starts getting kind of flabby and loose and you just kind of, you can get into a lot of trouble. 
And, and so we've got to be, we have to be disciplined in about using our time and, and, and working and, and making sure that we, we're not idle, busy bodies. We have to see that. And if somebody's like that in our assembly, then we have to talk to them. And, and I have to say, um, maybe you're somebody right now and you can't get a job. Can I just suggest to you, it might not be that you can get a job in your field, but get a job. It'll look better on your resume that you're willing to work, but it'll be better for you as a person. Sometimes we're work, waiting for this ideal job or whatever, one that fits our qualifications, and there are jobs to be had. Get a job. For your own safety, get a job. Uh, honestly, I, I'd really encourage that because I think it's very, very important spiritually uh, for how you feel about yourself. I mean, there's a sense of job well done, all the rest of it. And uh, so I just encourage you in that area. And then what about doctrinal error? Let's just look at doctrinal error for a moment. Look at Second Timothy. And again, I want you to notice that there's kind of a process involved in discipline in the assembly. It, it's never just kind of put them out. It's kind of, uh, there's a process and, uh, and it begins this way. What if you've got somebody in this assembly who has doctrinal error. Where do you start? Well, look at verse 2 Timothy 2 and verse 23. It says, um, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will. So the first process when somebody has doctrinal error is persuasion. Servant of the Lord is not to strive, we're not trying to get into a fight over this doctrine, but gently teaching the scriptures and, and lovingly bringing the word of God before this person and, and, and showing him his, his error. Uh, we have the same concept in 1 Timothy 5, 8 as well, uh, this idea of just patiently teaching the scriptures. Uh, it says, um, eh, that's not the verse. <laughs> that's refusal to work. That's why it's not the verse. It's uh, if, if you're worse than an infidel if you don't provide for your own family. Uh, then, so patient teaching, that's the first step. And then look at Titus. That's where I want to go. Titus chapter 1. And we notice that the next stage, after after you have been patiently teaching this person, if they're not responding, then the next stage is silencing the person and public rebuke. Notice this, verse 10. There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, and notice this, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake, uh, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are, are always uh, uh, liars, evil, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, so on and so forth. Where, wherefore, verse 13, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Now, can you imagine this happening in a local assembly? Somebody gets up, because we have these open format kind of meetings, right? And they begin to publicly teach error. And what we're, Titus is told is he's sent to an assembly that has this problem. What is he told to do? First of all, tell them 
to be quiet. Their mouths must be stopped, right? Silence them. The idea is muzzle them, actually. Put a muzzle on them. Stop them speaking. And then rebuke them. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now, that sounds kind of awfully strong, doesn't it? Especially in the day of of tolerance that we live. Uh, You're not going to do that, are you? Surely. Well, how important is doctrine? Is it important? What does false doctrine lead to? False living, doesn't it? What does Scripture say about false doctrine? Uh, In Galatians 5, it talks about a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So you let this guy get away with it and let him continue to have a platform. Before you know where you are, there's going to be a whole group of people thinking like he's thinking and, and the whole thing's going to be problematic. That's why you need to pray for your elders. Because they'd be, they would be, have the courage when false teaching goes on to stand up and lovingly but sternly silence the one who is giving false doctrine and rebuke them sternly. Because, listen, this is, this is the truth of God and to pervert it is serious. And so, again, I just want you to think about some of these things because uh, I've actually seen it done. I've seen it done well. I've seen it done very graciously. A brother at the remembrance meeting got up and he said stuff about the Lord Jesus that were absolutely blasphemous. And one of the elders stood up silenced him and rebuked him before the whole assembly. And I'll tell you, it was exactly what was needed. Because we don't want anybody going away thinking those thoughts about the Lord Jesus. So I'm just saying, these are very serious things. And, and so that's the next step. Um, and it, it has happened, uh, particularly in areas like legalism. For instance, in Galatians 2, uh, remember Peter, it says, Paul withstood him to the face. Even an apostle... Right? I mean, he just he stood him eyeball to eyeball and said, what you're doing, Peter, is not right. And, and so th- there's a need for that. Now, hopefully, it doesn't happen every Lord's Day morning. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we've got to be discerning. Sometimes a young brother will get up, uh, and maybe at the Lord's Supper, and, and, and maybe he'll, he'll kind of, I don't know, just kind of not get all his P's and Q's correct and everything's done. And you don't nail that guy to the wall because he'll never share again, right? But here's somebody who is... Del- deliberately teaching false doctrine. Big difference, right? That's where there needs to be action and uh, because the leaven of false doctrine is very, very serious. Look at Romans 16 now, and we're going to get to the kind of final stage. So there's been a silencing and there's been a rebuking of this individual. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them for they are that that are, that are such serve not our lord jesus christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple so the final stage is avoiding them uh, look at second second epistle of john second john and verses 9 through 11, same concept. Whoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If they come any of you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him good, good Godspeed. 
For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. So avoidance of that person, because if you, if you don't, you're actually partaking of their evil deeds. So this is serious stuff, isn't it? And, and again, I, I have to say to you, there's a million things I'd rather speak to you on tonight than this. But, but these are important issues that have to be dealt with. And, and, uh, and uh, if nothing else, can I urge you to pray for your elders? Because I think this will show you the difficulties of being an elder in an assembly. Because these are things that have to be dealt with and faced. And they're not easy. So, so we, we've got personal conflict between people. We've got refusal to work. We've got doctrinal error. Um, and then we've got repeated troublemakers. Look at Titus again, please, in chapter 3 and verse 10. And um, this is somebody who is kind of, you, you, you kind of think, Lord, if, uh, if somebody could leave our assembly, this one would be a blessed deduction. A man that is a heretic. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody who has false teaching. We, in our, in our kind of vocabulary, a heretic is a false teacher. But really, it means somebody who is divisive. And you can be divisive with the truth, can't you? Can't you be divisive with the truth? You can use the truth as a wedge to divide the saints. And so, uh, it, it, the idea is somebody who is divisive, who's always kind of making parties, uh, causing divisions. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Now, notice that. Uh, there's a first and there's a second admonition before there's rejection. And, and, and so it says, reject him. Uh, and then it says, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And, and there are just people like that who are party makers, always seeming to get groups around them, get their own little seg segment of believers around them, if you like, and they, they, they just love to cause division. And, and they've got a history. Sometimes these people are kind of serial dividers. They just go from assembly to assembly, and it's not long before they're getting sympathizers to their cause, whatever it might be at that particular time, and they're, they're just good at dividing the body of Christ. And that's a very, very serious issue, isn't it? Because the Spirit of God is yearning and endeavoring us to keep that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he's somebody whose whole purpose is to divide. And so this person, uh, after two warnings, then he has to be rejected from fellowship. A party maker, one who goes around seeking to get a schism going. And then finally, uh, and we don't have to turn there, 1 Corinthians 5, this is open sin. Somebody who's involved in clear um, fornication, clear sexual immorality. And, and I want you to, well, maybe we will turn there because I want you to notice something about the attitude of the assembly in relation to this passage. And I realize that in your Bible reading, you've done 1 Corinthians, so you're all experts on 1 Corinthians, at least up to chapter 11, right? Uh, so, but I want you just to notice something that really stood out to me as I was reading this. Um, he, he says here, verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out the old leaven. It might be a new lump. And um, that's not the verse I'm looking for. I'm looking for mourning. You should have mourned. There we are, verse 2. You are puffed up and have not rather mourned 
that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. And so Paul is saying that the attitude of the assembly ought to be one of mourning. I mean, mourning because of the seriousness of what this flagrant, open sin has done to the testimony of the Lord Jesus. It's his name that's brought in the mud every time, isn't it? That guy is a Christian. Look at these Christians. Who we just mentioned twice? Christ, right? He's a Christ one. And so we should be mourning because it's the, the glorious name of our beloved Lord Jesus who is being dragged in the mud because of this unseemly conduct. And, and that's why it's such a serious thing. And, and the attitude of the church should be mourning uh, with this whole process of having to deal with somebody uh, that's been involved in, in this flagrant sin. So, what, what, again, what is the purpose of church discipline? One, removal of leaven. Purge out the whole leaven because it, it spreads, it affects everybody. Removal of leaven. And then secondly, and most importantly, really what we're trying to do is we want to bring the person to repentance. That's why we, the admonitions are designed to bring them to repentance. The, the, the loving entreaties of the oversight are designed to bring them to repentance. And can you imagine... What would happen if we did get people in our assemblies repenting openly and publicly because of their sin? How do you think that would affect a meeting? In a positive way? I think it would be really positive, wouldn't it? This broken and a contrite spirit, Scripture says, God will not despise. God just can't resist brokenness amongst the saints. And when somebody responds to loving entreaty and finally uh, is just broken under the hand of God and just comes and, and just, just is honest before the saints and says, I sinned, forgive me. That could have a tremendous reviving effect on the whole assembly, couldn't it? And yet, if we just ignore it, it's going to have a devastating effect on the assembly. So repentance, bring the erring brother to repentance and a prelude to restoration. When there is genuine repentance, the next stage, of course, is restoration. And I've got to say this, that the word repent means, it's the Greek word metanoia, it means have another mind. It's a change of mind. But the change of mind will affect a change of life, right? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if, if somebody says, I have repented of my sin, but they continue to practice it, I don't believe them. And not that I'm a skeptic, but you see, you haven't repented if there's no change of behavior. Right? So we're looking for, especially when a sin is serious, we're looking that, that, that there is that change of behavior. And that conduct is no longer evident in that person's life. And once we've seen that, and we don't have to wait 10 years, you know, we, we, need to, we need to not be dragging our feet in discipline, although we make sure we've, we've gone through the proper process, but we also ought not to drag our feet in restoration. When there's evidence of genuine repentance, then the, the brother or sister concerned needs to be publicly restored and welcomed and received back into the assembly. And, and, and again, what a blessing that is when that takes place. And again, I've had the privilege of seeing it. And uh, I, I want to tell you that it is a wonderful thing. But 
don't don't keep a person who is genuinely repentant outside too long because it's just overwhelming it just it, and, and that's the, the teaching in second Corinthians we'll get to look at that before too long this evening but um, so let's just think again about the process first of all let's think about the approach to church discipline and I want to say that it needs to be approached with caution look at Proverbs 18 uh, with me for a moment Proverbs 18 and verse 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. Proverbs 18, verse 17. He that is first in his own cause seems just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. And so here's the idea that before you, you hastily act on something, make sure you properly investigate it. Right? You've got to do that. If you, if you act hastily, hastily, you could repent at your leisure, right? You jump in with both feet, you've got to discipline this guy, and you didn't heard all the story yet. You haven't properly investigated. Maybe somebody's come and told you, I want to tell you about this man, and they've given you their side of the story. Well, hold on a second. We're going to, we're going to think about this a little bit more, but we want to talk to the other side as well and get all the facts on the table before we begin to act. Because... Uh, sometimes somebody can come and they can bring information and uh, it's a false accusation wasn't the Lord falsely accused it's not beneath the dignity of any of us to falsely accuse somebody is it especially if we've got something against them and so there needs to be some kind of uh, uh, investigation needs to be thorough, uh, needs to be prayed through, uh, needs to be done with great, great care. Once it's established that they're really, and, and you cannot proceed unless you have evidence. You cannot act on hearsay. You just can't. Right? Don't stand up anywhere, does it? You can't. It wouldn't ha in, in the legal system, it wouldn't work, and it should never work amongst the assembly of God's people. You cannot act on hearsay. You have to have evidence before you can act. Once you have evidence, the first step, as we said, is admonition. Galatians 6, we, we've seen this before. Uh, we also, Matthew 7, remember about you know, going to your brother uh, uh, and uh, removing the speck from his eye. Uh, Galatians 6 talks about you that are spiritual. Uh, you've got to be, make sure you're in the right state of mind spiritually before you go. Galatians 6 and verse, uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So, you know, don't go with kind of this kind of righteous attitude that you're, you know, you're not like him. Don't be thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Go in a spiritual frame of mind, recognizing this could be you. You could be the one that needs uh, loving uh, admonition. Uh, go in the right way with a view of restoration. Uh, this man's overtaken in a fault. He needs loving restoration. So admonition. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians 5 as well. And um, and this is a, a real test case, I think, 
about our attitude to elders in a local assembly. This is going to test us all a little bit, how we, how we view the oversight. And maybe this is good for us this evening to even just ask ourselves some hard questions about this. First Thessalonians 5 verse 12, it says this, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now, there's several things here. First of all, we're to know those, he says, that are uh, labor amongst us. We beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you, and the idea of labor is these, these are the, the men that, that they're working hard to the point of weariness. They're laboring among us. And it says they labor among you. And then it says and are over you. In other words, they take the lead in the meeting, in the things of the Lord. And then it says this, and here's the hard thing, and admonish you. Now, sometimes the elders will admonish you from the front. They might say, brethren, timekeeping. Right? Be on time. The Lord will be here on time. You be here on time. Okay? That might be what they might say. That's, that's a, a typical admonition. Or they might admonish you to be here at the meetings. Come on, guys. You know, you're supposed to be here. But make an effort. Whatever. So it could be a, a public adm- admonition. How do you receive that? Oh, those elders again, they're always on our case. Well, that's a shame. Pity you didn't respond better, then they wouldn't be on your case all the time. They, they would prefer not to admonish you if you just do what you're supposed to do. They don't have to admonish you. But they do admonish you, and, and what does it say? They admonish you, they're over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Their, their jurisdiction is divinely given. It's in the Lord that they're doing this. They're admonishing you. And then it says, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. And then it says, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That's, that word warn there is the same word admonish. Admonish the unruly. But then it also talks about others. It says, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. And the idea is that when it comes to shepherding God's people, there's not a, a kind of one solution fits all. Right? There's some people need admonishing. Some people need comfort. Some need encouragement. And we need wisdom to know who needs what, right? Not everybody needs a kind of a shot across the, the bow, you know. Not everybody wants that or needs that. And so there needs to be a lot of wisdom in this whole thing. But this idea of ad, admon, admonition. And let me tell you that admonition can be greatly used of God to bring repentance before discipline. So, biblical example. Okay, David sinned with Bathsheba, right? Here comes Nathan the prophet. What does he do? He admonishes him. Now he uses this amazing illustration about you know the little pet lamb and all the rest of it. But bottom line is, David, thou art the man. And that admonition brought David to repentance. Now there were still consequences for David's actions, but it did bring him to repentance, right? And, and so uh, this this idea of uh, and and what, how would you respond if somebody comes to admonish you? Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but um, sometimes if somebody comes to admonish you, 
You know, the, the first thing that comes into your mind is, well, I've got a few things to tell you. Right? Natural self-defense mechanism kicks in. They're coming to tell you about a fault. And you look at this guy and you say, boy, I just, <laughs> I've waited for this moment. I'm going to let you tell you a few things about you. Well, listen, if you knew this about this brother, why did you wait till now to tell him? You don't go and speak to somebody when they're coming to tell you. If you really care about that man's soul, you'd have gone a long time ago and said, I have to talk to you about this issue, brother. When we were in New Tribes, um, there, was a, there was a guy, we used to have an open chapel every day in the boot, the boot camp. And um, there was one guy who would get up, and every time he would stand up in chapel, his message was kind of variations on the same thing, but it was always the same thing. I, me, my, and myself. And it was obvious to everybody. In fact, when he'd get up there, people would just, you could see the inward groaning. Here we go again. So this particular afternoon after chapel, I'm, I'm doing work detail and I'm, I'm scraping paint off a building that we're going to paint. And uh, another guy's working with me and he says, well, what do you think of Brother So-and-so today? And I said to him, I said, well, if we talk about Brother So-and-so and don't talk to Brother So-and-so, what are we guilty of? Gossip. Right? So I said to him, what we should do, if we really care about this man, is go and see him. Problem is, he was an older man. And we're young guys, you know, back then I was a young guy. Uh, and, and so, how are we going to deal with this? And uh, so we prayed about it and we thought, Lord, will you show us not only what to say and how to say it, but what practical advice we can give him. Because one thing, point somebody's problem out, isn't it? It's, it's kind of relatively easy to point people's problems out, but to give constructive solutions is more difficult. So, um, as we prayed about it, we thought, well, um, this is what we'll do. We'll go visit the man. So we went to his house, went in fear and trembling. We prayed about it before. We knocked on his door, and uh, he welcomed us in, and his wife was there, and he said, come in and sit down. And we told him how much we appreciated him and all the rest of it. And we said, but something that we've observed, and we're just concerned about it, and we just shared with him that every time he stands up, he's always talking by himself. And we said, you know, in the Bible, that, that, that I mean my and myself, Romans 7, is really pride. And we said, you know, it would be really good because the opposite of pride is humility, and that's displayed in service. And the Lord Jesus was a perfect servant. And so we want to encourage you to get involved in serving others rather than talking about yourself. Well, the man bawled his eyes out. His wife is bawling her eyes out. And, and the Lord really used it in their lives. And he stood up in chapel the next day. And guess what he spoke about? The Lord Jesus. It wasn't I, me, my, and myself. It was him. And uh, he ended up going to the mission field. And he ended up, he and his wife were... Uh, looking after a missionary guest house and they gave the best years of their life serving the Lord's servants who would come out of their various tribal locations and just they were servants. Now I'm not saying it always happens that nicely but admonition when it's done in the right spirit with the right motivation the spirit of God can really use that in a very powerful way in somebody's life. And God used it in that man's life in a wonderful way. And I thank God for, for the privilege of being involved in that. So admonition. Now, also, um, additional witnesses may be needed. In other words, if it's a, if it's a one-on-one situation, um, uh, you know how Matthew 18, you go, and, and if the brother won't respond, then you take a witness. 
And so we need to take additional witness. If there's no repentance, when we have gone and brought loving admonition, then there's a need for additional witnesses. It says, for instance, against an elder, 1 Timothy 5.19, against an elder receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. Even in the Old Testament, right? Everything was established in, in, in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So, so it can't be just he said, she said. Right? There's got to be others involved who witness this. And um, if there's no repentance after this process has been followed, then the last resort, we've tried everything. We've prayed, we've, we've lovingly admonished this person, uh, we've taken witnesses, we've brought it before the whole church. The final, final solution is to remove somebody from fellowship. I want to just say something about that because sometimes if you're in a congregation and you're just watching and you maybe haven't seen this whole process, all, all, maybe you're one of these that we talked about, the breezers, you know what I mean? You just kind of come in on Sunday morning. And, and so you've missed all this process, and all you're, all you're seeing is the final act. And, and it might, to you, seem a minor thing. By the way, sin is never minor. But it might, to you, seem a minor thing. But let me just, I want to give a quotation here, because I think it's very, very important. And, and this is it. People are not cast out for little sins but for hardened impenitence in their sin. Can I say that again? People are not cast out for little sins, but for hardened impenitence in their sin. In other words, the idea is this, that they've become hardened in that issue, they refuse to repent, they're unbroken, and they've been, and there's been attempts made, and they're just kind of digging their heels in, and they're not repentant at all. And, and so we've got to this process where we've run out of options. We've tried everything. And, and they have not responded. And they're digging their heels in. And at that stage, we have no alternative but to put them out of fellowship. Now again, what authority do we have to do that? Well, we saw there, didn't we, in Second Thessalonians, that passage we read. And let me just read the verse again. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. What authority are we doing this in? In the name... And what does that mean? In, in all that that name stands for, the very authority of the Lord Jesus himself is, is the authority that we're, we're doing this uh, in. It's not, it's not done in human authority. Uh, it, it's done in the authority in the name of the Lord Jesus. First uh, Corinthians 5 verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit with power of our Lord Jesus Christ, or with the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the authority is twofold. First of all, there's the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then secondly, there's the authority of the scriptures. All we're doing is following the book, Right? We're acting based on the book. That's what we're doing. 
And so that's the authority that it's done. Now I want to talk about the various uh, punishments for church discipline, but I think this would be a good time to take a break, and as we've got till quarter to nine to finish, so we'll take a, what, five minutes? Is that what we're going to do? Yeah, okay, all right. We'll just uh, hand over and then we'll pick up again in a few minutes.